Take your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. We're going to wrap up John chapter 12 this morning. You probably noticed for it's been about six or seven weeks since I preached on a Sunday, and, and uh, so the battery's been charging. I've been able to sit and be ministered to, and so I kind of let it all out in the first service. <laughs> and um, But we're going to see what God has for us in this one, okay? And um, John chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 44 through 50, and the title of the message today is A Final Call to Faith. A Final Call to Faith. Jesus is going to give a final plea to the crowd to believe on him before he is to go into seclusion, before he is going to go into hiding. And this is just but days before Calvary or a day or so before Calvary. And I'm excited over the next several weeks we're going to get in John 13, 14, that upper room. You're going to see a shift in Jesus and his focus. You see, up until this point, his focus uh, was was into the masses and going in from city to city and preaching, and it was more it was he was on an evangelistic tour. But we're going to see in chapters thirteen he's going to he's going to narrow it into the disciples. He's going to begin to pour into them in the upper room, and it's kind of his last opportunity while he's there with them to to pour into them. and And I, I believe the Lord is going to work in in those verses, those chapters in the, in the life of Westside Christian Fellowship today. Um, so but today we're going to begin reading in verse number 44. If you're there in your Bible, say amen. 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 Then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that what I should say and what I should speak, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. A final call to faith. Let's pray one more time. God, be glorified in your word. Speak now. Lord, touch hearts. May your spirit be moving as your word goes forward. Give me clarity. Give me boldness. Give me what I need. I cannot do this without you, God. I need you. I'm desperate for you. And God, I just pray that you be glorified in this time. I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice without Christ as their Savior today, watching online as well, that today they would give you their heart, that they would receive you as Lord and Savior. And I pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In the verses we read this morning, we find Jesus' final message before he is to hide himself from the people. Throughout the first 12 chapters of John's gospel, we have seen Jesus 
We have seen his life. We've seen his ministry. We've seen his miracles. We've heard his messages. And we've seen his desire, his overwhelming desire to see this, the lost saved. And in his final public address, Jesus once again is going to emphasize the urgent need of faith in him. He is going to thunder, we'll see in just a moment, out the message of salvation, of the need of repentance, and he being the one way to the Father. And I'm going to tell us this morning, this is still the message that we must proclaim. This is still the, the, the urgent plea that you and I have been called to share in this dark day, to, that Jesus saves and I want to ask a question. Maybe today you've come to Westside and you've, you're, you're just on the fence. You, you haven't yet made your decision on whether you have will receive Christ. And I want to ask you a question. Have you considered the evidence? Have you, have you looked at what Scripture has said about Jesus? Have you considered all that we have uh, in Jesus? Uh, have you come to the conviction that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Well, if you haven't, today it is my prayer that you would receive Him as your Savior. In this final call to faith, we're going to see in the beginning of this message the manner in which Jesus delivered the message. Now, you know, it's important how a message is delivered. And, and depending on the situation or the circumstances, uh, how we deliver a message uh, will determine how it is received. Well, I want you to see Jesus, he thundered out this message. Listen, look at verse 44, excuse me. Then Jesus cried out. Now, that word in the Greek, in the original language, it meant to call out. This was not the, the Jesus that we saw in John 11 when he was weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. He wasn't crying for grief and, and for being grieved in his spirit. Here we hear, uh, I want you to get the picture of a thunderous preacher. I have an uncle, he's 6'4", and his name is Gene, and he's, he's a big man, right? He's that type of man who they don't even need a microphone. Like he, if he were here this morning, he could thunder out. He's a preacher too. He can thunder out the words. And I can only uh, just imagine in my mind, Jesus, there's no amplification. There's crowds before him. And as he's going to give this final plea of faith, he's going to thunder it out. He wants all to hear what he has to say. He's passionate about this. This indicates the importance of the issue that Jesus was going to address with this nation. You see, they had gotten a visitation from God himself. Many believed, but many also rejected. And Jesus, in his final public address, was once again going to thunder out the truth of how a person is to be saved, faith in him. And I, I couldn't help but ponder this this week, too. Here we find Jesus in action. And I've learned this, belief is always connected to our behavior. Jesus knew that there was a literal hell. Jesus knew that judgment was looming for this nation. Jesus knew the pressing, urgent need for them to be saved. And so even in his last moments, even when he was under the most pressure that he would probably face, he made it his, uh, his purpose to thunder out the truth about 
Him and His salvation. And I want to ask us this question, church family. And I believe it's something that we have to revisit intentionally. Do we really believe that there is a place called hell? Do we believe that people go there? Do we believe that only those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ go to heaven? Well, we believe those things. It should impact our behavior. It should impact our lifestyle. I was so impressed with the volunteers this week at VBS and how they loved on the kids and, and you know, how these people gave up their time. Some took their vacation. Some, you know, who are retired, they could have just been at home sitting on the lazy boy and, and you know, watching television, being comfortable. Instead, they're out, you know, here chasing after kids and getting, you know, hit with water water and, and just, you know, doing what I believe the Lord would have us to do because we want, and, and they have a desire to see those children come to know Christ. And belief always affects our behavior. I find it very telling that most Christians over the last year have not shared their, the gospel with one person. Do we truly believe that there's a hell? Jesus, He knew it. He had created it. It was not for man. It was for the devil and his angels. But he was aware. And so I believe that affected his behavior. And church, in this season, when it seems to be the darkest that it's ever been in this country's history, it is vital that we stay on mission. It is vital that we still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others can come to know him. You want to know how we're going to get this nation back? I'm telling you, it's going to be through uh, one by one us winning people to Jesus Christ. The word of God says that we should occupy until he comes. Hey, are you on idol right now? What are we so preoccupied with? Is it the, is it the career? Is it the, is it the car? Is it, what, what is it? Is it the pursuit of your kingdom? Hey, I know we have to provide for our families. I know we have to go to work tomorrow. Um, I know we have, to, uh, we have to do the things. And I'm not saying that we, we don't take care of business. But what I'm saying is that while I'm taking care of business, while I'm at work, I'm, I'm giving my best to my employer, but I'm looking for opportunities. I'm looking for that coworker who I could share with. I'm looking for someone to take out to lunch. I'm looking for opportunities where I can sow the seed of the gospel into hearts because I'm a representative of Christ in this place. I, I am uh, what he called us to be, the light of the world with him. And I'm telling you this, we've got to get back to staying engaged when it comes to the gospel. I know it's uncomfortable. Let me tell you, I, I understand that. I was talking to a, a gentleman I've been playing ball with for about a year yesterday, and he was sharing with me how one of his coworkers passed away recently in, in his department, and he, he was 
not looking forward to going back to work because of the grief. Everybody loved this woman, and she, she passed away. She had won a battle with cancer a few years before, but this one she succumbed to. And as we're having this conversation, I could see the grief on him. And I, I, I began to ask him, I said, do you know of your coworker? If she knew the Lord? And he's like, I, I think so. And I mean, she was Catholic, and I know that she got her last rites. And um, he began to elaborate on what he believed about, hey, I, I believe if someone is you know, right with the higher power, if they're, they're, they're right with their ancestors, as I'm hearing this, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm convicted. You want to know why? I've been playing ball with this guy for a year. And I hadn't asked him yet. I had opportunities. But it's uncomfortable, isn't it? And I was convicted, and it's like I've been preparing for this message, and it's like, mm, God was like, mm. It's uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, we, we must be obedient. We can't drop the ball with this. I was thinking about a little girl who got baptized on Friday. Her name is Amy. She's the sweetest. She, she, she loves her pastor. Every time she sees me, she lights up. She runs up, gives me a big hug, and I like people who like me. <laughs> I, swear. I got enough people who don't. I look out here sometimes, and I see the side eyes sometimes. I know everybody here like, that's okay. Hey, <laughs> but little Amy, she loves me. And she comes up to me. And every time this week, she, she was bringing me another one of her friends to talk to. Her mother told me a few weeks back, yeah, she has the joy of the Lord. And she's an evangelist on the playground at school. And I just, my heart just was so full. <laughs> She wanted to be baptized a few weeks ago, but she got a little f- afraid of the water. And so, but this whole week she kept asking me, Pastor, will you baptize me? You promise you, you, promise you won't keep me under? <laughs> and she just kept asking me, and I said, oh, yeah, I can't wait. You know, yeah, it's going to be great. And, but you could tell she's a little nervous about it. She, she, she got up into the little baptistry we have outdoor. And um, she, she held on to my arm so tight as I, as I baptized little Amy. She was afraid, but she was still going to be obedient. Let me tell you, it's okay to be afraid. It's, it's okay to admit when you feel weak. I had, a, I had a weak moment yesterday. I had a really rough day, just spiritual attacks. And I think the enemy didn't want me to preach this message today. I almost said, Luke, hey, you got something you can preach. I'm serious. Strong attack, strongest I felt in a long time, out of nowhere. But I should have known. It wasn't out of nowhere. The enemy hates what we're doing here today. He hates the gospel. He hates that little kids gave their heart to Christ this week. He hates that little girls were baptized. Little Amy is on fire for God. He hates that. And I'm telling you what we've got to get in our grit, in our cause that we're going to fight. We're going to fight the kingdom of darkness no matter how scared we might be, no matter how uncomfortable it might be. We've got to keep fighting. We've got to stand in the gap. And this is what Jesus is showing us. He's standing in the gap right there. He's getting ready to go to Calvary, but he's going to cry out one more time. Would be to God. I remember in seminary, there's a song we were singing that I want to die on the battlefield. We sing songs like Onward Christian Soldier. <laughs> Some of y'all remember those old hymns and 
Somewhere along the line in America, we've, we've put off the militant, you know, storm hell with a super soaker type of mentality. We've gotten to this comfortable, easy, no trials. No, we've gotten this, we've bought into this westernized uh, form of Christianity. But everywhere I read in the Bible, Christianity was always filled with radicals who were storming the gates of hell. Why? Because we're immortal. Let me say it again. We're immortal. You might kill this body, but I'll be more alive the moment that this body dies than I ever been. I'm telling you, we're immortal. And I think this is why Jesus, he saw the end of the thing. This is why he endured the cross. This is why he dealt with the shame. Hey, you think you might get ridiculed? You start sharing the gospel at work? Absolutely. But endure the shame for what's on the other side of it when Jesus looks you in the face and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, that's what I want to live for. Not the applause of man, but the praise of God one day. Let me tell somebody today. D.O. Moody was criticized by a woman about his evangelistic efforts and his methods. And this woman came up to Moody and she voiced it to him. She says, I don't like the way that you do it. (laughs) Moody replied, I don't like the way that I do it either. Can you tell me how is it that you do it? She looked at him and she said, well, I don't do it. (laughs) And Moody responded, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. (laughs) Hey, church, We've got to fight the good fight. The church, we exist for the salvation of the lost. I'm going to say that again. The the main thing is the main thing. And the church exists for the salvation of the lost. This isn't a cruise ship for the saved. It is a lifeboat for the lost. And I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I said it in the early service, and I feel led to say it again. You know, I, it's not a day that doesn't go by where we're, we're approached by someone and says, why, doesn't, why don't we have this program? Or why don't we have this for the youth? Why don't we have this for <laughs> whatever it might be? And nine times out of ten, not all the times, is a person who doesn't serve. You, you wouldn't catch them at a VBS. You wouldn't catch them at a 6 a.m. worship. You wouldn't catch them, uh, you know, getting their hands dirty in nursery, changing diapers. But we exist in their mind to, to, to keep them comfortable, to, to have a ministry for every age group in their family, even though they're not willing to serve in it. And, and I find that very telling. Because the church does not exist to meet, uh, meet the felt needs of the, of the saved. <laughs> but we're here for the salvation of the lost. And it's my job to preach the full counsel of the Word of God so that we could be sanctified. We could be more like Jesus. We are no more like Jesus than when we are trying to win sinners. I want you to know that. That's why He came. That's why he left heaven's glory and he put on this flesh suit. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He walked this earth. He experienced things that he would have never had to experience. Why? To save you and to save me. And that should be our focus 
And I want you to know, silence in this area for a believer is disobedience. We've seen it over the last three years. The increased attacks against the church, against our faith. Why is it so blatant? Because if they can silence us, if they can malign us, if they can do all these things, they can silence our message. People aren't so bold to come out and say, I'm a Christian, and I want to share with you about my Jesus. That is the enemy's plan. That is what he's been executing for, for millennia, but he, he's doing it in America to a degree that we have not yet to experience. And so I want to tell you guys, this is the time to stand. This is the time. We told the kids this week to take on their armor, and I want to share something with you. <laughs> I had uh, Dana bless me. Dana Burns, he blessed me with this sword. I had a little rinky-dink sword to talk about the sword of the Spirit. <laughs> he brought me Excalibur. And um, I was able this week to talk about the arm of the Lord and, and how we're in a spiritual battle and how these kids, they are un, under relentless attack by the enemy and how they were going to need to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the, have their feet shot with the gospel, uh, have the belt of truth, um, and having the sword of the Spirit, <laughs> which is the Word of God. And uh, we, we went through it, and these kids were engaged. These kids, man, I'd rather preach to them kids than you guys anyway. <laughs> oh, good kids. And they love me. They come up to me. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> My heart's with the kids, but I want to tell somebody, maybe you've taken off your armor. <laughs> maybe you once served in children's ministry, but you don't do it anymore. Maybe you once were an usher or a nursery worker, or maybe you once were a prayer warrior. Maybe you once uh, were, were a witness wherever you, want, where you went, and, and now you've disengaged. Well, the enemy, is he's pleased with that. We got to keep fighting. So Jesus is going to give this final call to faith. I want you to see what he says in his message. First of all, he says, God sent the Son. Look what verse 44 says. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So what Jesus is saying in his special way, is that he was sent by the Father. Now, we here understand that Jesus is equal with the Father, that this, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is, is, is speaking to was his submission to the Father, that he came um, under uh, the will of the Father. He, he, he lived under the authority of the Father. He was equal to Him, but He took that lower prong for a moment. Even though He had all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, He submitted to the Father. And let me tell you, submission is a beautiful thing. And Jesus modeled that. And what He was saying is that those who believe in Him, they were believing in the one who sent him. And, and there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can, get, you can get anything else in this life wrong, but you cannot get wrong 
who Jesus is and what he provides. And, and he is in, in that statement, he is reassuring us that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is God in the flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So he's saying those who believe in him, believe in the father. Those who hear his words, they're hearing the father's words. Those who see him, they're seeing the father. We're going to see that. Look at verse number 45. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Later on in John 14, I believe it's Thomas, <laughs> or is it Philip? He said in verse 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices for us. And Jesus said, have I not been with you a long time enough to know that when you see me, you've seen the Father? Jesus is God in the flesh. I want you to listen to this verse, Colossians 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 and verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, listen to that, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. We know God shares his glory with no human. God shares his glory with no man. But here in Hebrews, it says that he is the expression of his image. He is the brightness of his glory because this man was not just another man. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. He was God, the son. And remember that the cults come for this more than anything else. They want to push Jesus down on the, on the ring. They, they want to make him equal with all the other little case G gods that they've created. But Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I want somebody today to know your savior, the one who you worship. Oh, he's, he is eternal God. He's thundering this out. To see me is to see the Father. One commentary I read this week put it like this. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God, the one whom he, who sent him. So that to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. People do not have two objects of faith, God and or Jesus. When one sees Jesus, he sees the Father who sent him. I, I, I always use this illustration, but in heaven there are not two thrones, one with an older Father God on it <laughs> and one with Jesus on it. That's not how it is. When the Bible refers to Jesus sitting on the right hand of the throne of God, it's a position of power. It's, it's speaking to his authority and uh, it's speaking to his position that he is equal with the Father. But the Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God. So get that picture. When John, in John 4, he said, God is a spirit. So someone was confused. Somebody recently asked me this. Well, if there's a Holy Spirit, why is God also a spirit? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says no man has seen God. But when you looked at Jesus, he was the express image. He was the, like, for instance, if you see a picture of someone, you, you get an image of that person. Uh, it's a picture of a, of a physical entity. And Jesus, he was flesh and blood. 
He walked the earth. He was, he was the embodiment of God the Father. And so I want you to get that. But thirdly, he goes on. He says, once again, that he is the light of the world. Verse 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoso, whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. In Jesus' day, it was dark already. You remember when Satan tempted Jesus and he took him to the high mountain and he says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world? Jesus didn't say, you don't own those, you liar. <laughs> he had them. Just like he has them today. You know what we're seeing just coming out. All the things that we thought that we were called, you know, wearing tinfoil hats for and conspiracy theorists a few years ago. Wow, just so magically is happening right now, right? And it just seems like it's in concert, right? <laughs> Why? Because there's a that spirit of Antichrist is running the world right now. And um, so Jesus, he, he, of course, he used the word of God to, to fight the devil and his temptation. But the world was dark in Jesus' day. There was political corruption. There was sexual perversion. Sound familiar? <laughs> there was, uh, I, can, I can go down the line. Rome was destroyed for the very things that is destroying this country. You understand that? Men had gone over and given up to their own lust. Homosexuality was on a, on a, a rampage. Um, pedophilia. They would use children any way they wanted to. Women, same, same thing. There was houses of prostitutes. I'm telling you, the same things that we see in America, it's just a repeat of, of history. And every empire that rises up, they fall when they begin to decay morally. And I'm telling you, America's not an ex exception of that. The world is dark. Our day is undeniably dark. We have a choice, though. We can complain about the darkness. I hate the darkness. Don't get me wrong. And I often complain about it. <laughs> and I have to ask God to help me. There's such things as that righteous, righteous indignation and, and that hatred towards evil. And, and I, I believe that that's biblical. That's all right. But most of us, we just stay there. That's, that's the most that we do. We get angry about it. We bemoan the darkness rather than charge the darkness with the light of God rather than engage in battle. And we see Jesus here engaging to the very last moment. He's going to engage the darkness. He's going he's to fight the enemy. He's going to, how, do you, how are we going to defeat the lies of the enemy right now? By going in the power of the Spirit, preaching the truth of the gospel. That's the only way. And Jesus said he was the light of the world. He came into the world and he exposed its corruption. He, he, he preached against, he lived counter uh, to the system in place. He was radical. I'm telling you, uh, we could take a lot of notes from our Lord and how he lived. And he came to lead people out of Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of light. He's raging war on darkness. He says, anyone who believes in me will not abide in darkness. They won't stay in darkness. And 
The moment someone is saved, there's, there's a new nature within them. They don't, they're not going to be sinless, but they're, they're going to sin less. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I meet people, you know, you know, they, they're cursing up a storm and talking about who they slept with last week and at the gym, you know how guys are at the water cooler and, and then somehow it comes up that I'm a pastor and then they just, oh, pastor. Oh, man, oh, that's cool. Where you preach? Um, um, yeah, I, um, I went to church a few years ago, yeah. <laughs> they say they're Christians. But anybody who follows Jesus, anyone who has made a new creation, they're not going to abide in darkness. That's not, you're not going to be comfortable in darkness. You're going to be convicted. Anybody like me, when you sin, you, you, you just, you're not happy. <laughs> you don't have peace. You know, you're losing sleep and, until you repent. And you can get to a point as a Christian where you sin and you sin and you sear the spirit, your, your conscience and the spirit of God is grieved and you're, you got strongholds and you don't even feel the conviction anymore. You can get to that point. But oftentimes I wonder if a person really truly is saved. If they're in a lifestyle, if they're in a continual cycle of sin, because Jesus said, we would not abide in darkness. But I want you to see, he, he goes on in verse 47, he says that his words are the words from the Father. And look, he says, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Verse 48, he who rejects me does not, and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last days. Verse 49, for I have not spoken my own, on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. Jesus' words are the very words of God. And I want you to see what he, he explains here. Jesus is preaching this out. He's declaring this out. He, he says, my words, if, if anyone doesn't believe on them, I'm not going to judge them. You see, he came for the first time to seek and to save the lost. He, he didn't come as judge. He came as savior. Aren't you thankful? He could have judged the world. He could have, he could have executed judgment, but he came as savior. Oh, his mercy. You know, we sang it this morning. His mercy is more. Our God is rich in mercy. He delights in extending mercy. And if you're here today and you're hearing this sermon and you, you aren't yet a part of his kingdom, it is because of his mercy he kept you alive. He woke you up this morning, gave you the ability to be here to hear this today so that you can have another opportunity to turn your heart to Christ. His mercy is amazing. His, his grace. I love that part of that song where it says that it, he, he takes our, sea, our sin and he puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. God doesn't forget anything. He's omniscient, right? But he chooses. He, he makes a willful decision not to remember our sin anymore. Aren't you thankful for that? He's taken our sin as far as the east is from the west. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Glory to him. His words... They will be that which judges us, judges those who reject. I'm so thankful 
that those of us in Christ, we will not be judged for our sin. God judged our sin on Mount Calvary, on that cross. He bore our sins in his body on that cross. He was a substitutionary death. He, he shed his blood for the remission of my sin. Like we said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. But for those who reject him, they will one day stand before him in judgment. And the law, you know how when someone goes to court and there's the jury, the judge, and they are going, you know, there are certain, certain penal codes and there's a crime that has been committed that's broken a certain law. And the law is what's going to determine the sentence, right? And so the picture here is, is judicial. Jesus is going to judge people based on his words that he got from the Father, the word of God. He's going to judge them. And you know that, you know what this means. This is an awesome thought that every unbeliever will face judgment for every bit of scripture that they have heard. For every scripture they may have read. I found it, I found it very telling. You, you see it. You see it on the internet. You know, the street preachers and, you know, God bless them. Some of them, you know, maybe need some more humility. But uh, but you see it. People, they'll come up to uh, the street preacher and engage him and they'll use scripture. They'll say, well, God says, you do not judge. And that's out of context. <laughs> but they'll use scripture. So these people, maybe they once went to church. Maybe they were raised in a Christian home and they've chosen a lifestyle and, and a pattern that has uh, taken them down a dark path. And, but they know the truth. They know what's right. And one day, they will be judged by the law. The Bible talks about in Revelation that the books are going to be open in that last day. And there will be a book that records every sin that we've done. Every sin ever committed, even in secret. And there will be, I think the Bible will be there as our judge, God's word, the standard. And there's other books the Bible doesn't name. There's, a, of course, the Lamb's book of life for those who have placed their faith in the Lamb of God. And we want to know for certain that our name is in that book. But for those who reject him, they will be judged by the standard, the word of God. And so I've, I've been just pondering this and this week as I prepare for the message. And this is the reality, the sobering reality to reject Jesus as Savior, it is sentencing yourself to see Him one day as judge. And I'll make no mistake, I want you to be aware of this, and, and um, people will have to reject Jesus. I found this to be true, and, and we hear the stories all the time here in our church, like of God revealing Jesus revealing himself to people in dreams and, and, and in visions and in Muslim countries. And we, we're connected with the church in China underground. And we hear of miracles. We hear of Jesus uh, uh, showing himself. And so 
those people on that day will be without excuse. I truly believe our God is so gracious. He's going to give opportunity after opportunity for people to be saved. This concept of judgment is mentioned four times in Jesus' final sermon. You think he wanted to emphasize it? If you and I live with this day in mind, not that we'll be judged for our sins, but that one day we as Christians, we will stand before God and give an account for our lives. I think our lives will look a lot different. Let's be honest. Solomon, the wisest man, one of the richest men to ever walk the planet, uh, he, read the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes and all that he experienced, all that he, all the pleasure, all the riches, all the women, all, I mean, he had it all. He, he had more than Elon Musk and Bill Gates combined. I'm telling you, an equivalent of today's, I'm telling you, he had it all. And he said this at the end of his life, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let that sink in for a moment. Even for believers, we're going to give an account. We won't be judged for our sin, but we're going to give an account. And let that be our motivation. Let that be a reminder that we keep in our, in our heads and our hearts and so that we can live out see, just the number of our days, Lord, so that we uh, uh, apply ourselves to knowledge. And I'm telling you, a lot of Christians lack wisdom because we spend our days uh, overemphasizing, preoccupied with things that aren't going to matter when we stand before the judge. But if you're here today and you... You don't have a relationship with Jesus as Savior. I want to plead with you. This is an opportunity today to repent, to turn to Jesus. As he was giving this final plea, this final call to faith to those there, he is still speaking today, and he's still calling out to those who are lost. I was thinking again about that submarine this week and <laughs> how it cost $250,000 to get on board and there's the billionaire owner of the company his billions didn't save him as far as we know everyone on that boat was not a believer and when you stand before God the only thing that's going to matter is whether or not you have the Lord Jesus as your Savior. He that has the Son has life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. It is that simple. I know that seems narrow. You say, preacher, what about Islam? What about Buddhists? What about all those people? What about that? And I'm saying, I, I can't... I can speak to that. The Bible is very clear to that, that Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only way. And that only through Him can we receive eternal life. And I want to tell somebody today, if you haven't received Him, call on His name. Call on His name. He will hear you. I don't care what you've done. He's able to save to the uttermost. You could be the vilest of sinners, I'm telling you. 
the favorite hymn of all time, the most popular hymn of all time, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Hey, that was written by a slave trader. The vilest of sinners. He, he sold humans. He, 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 he was a part of that slave trade. And I'm telling you, uh, when he came to faith, he spent the rest of his life fighting that, but he still never got over the grace of God that he'll save a wretch like him. And I want to tell somebody today, I don't, you've, you've not gone too far for Jesus to save you. <laughs> He's able to save to the uttermost, the Bible says. Faith in him brings salvation. Look at verse 50 and we're done. He says, and I know that his command is everlasting life. This is another concept that is hard for us to to comprehend. Everlasting life. Everyone in this room has everlasting life. But let me preface that. Where will you spend eternity? What Jesus was saying here is that I will give you everlasting life with me in heaven. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. You, we have to humble ourselves. You say, well, I've been, I grew up in a Christian home. I've done this. I've, I've been coming to this church for a long time. And, uh, you know, I do all these good things or whatever it might be, whatever you might say, I'm a good person, whatever it is that you are using as uh, an excuse not to humble yourself and to receive Christ today. It will not stand in the day of judgment. You have to come to Jesus in faith. Acknowledge that you're a sinner that you fall short, that you can never, ever pay your sin debt. I don't care. Mother Teresa couldn't pay her sin debt. You and I can't. I want you to know that. That's why Jesus came from heaven to die for our sin, to die in our place. And he rose from the grave three days later to confirm everything that he taught, everything that he claimed was true. He was perfect because you and I can, cannot be perfect He was God in the flesh, and he preached this message that I'm preaching to you today, that you must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible says. Not religion, not you go to this church, not that you've been baptized, not that you've been confirmed, not that you have been sprinkled as an infant. None of that will matter when you stand before God. Have you believed on Jesus Christ? That word is an interesting word, believe. In the Bible, it always was a faith. It, it always was a, a decision of the heart, but it was, it was a faith decision. Your life changed. You knew, you knew what you were risking when you came to Christ in those days. And you were willing to count the cost to receive him. You were willing to suffer temporarily for eternity with him. And I want us to understand, we cheapened it today. We cheapened it. This matter of faith, it means that he becomes Lord and he becomes Savior. That means he calls the shots. If I'm, I don't want to cheapen it. Your life might get harder if you come to Christ today. But let me tell you, eternity will be sweeter. <laughs> hey, if the devil's coming for me, you better believe he's coming for you. 
If the spiritual attacks, it's, it, all Christians throughout the ages experienced it, but it's worth it. Because we get Jesus. We get everlasting life with him. So today, if you haven't received Christ yet, I urge you to do that. 